and it got to a point where I was just tired of being in a boat. I didn't want to be in a boat anymore. So I took a few weeks break. And then when I came back um, in the boat, I asked my coach, um, so when do I know if I'm ready to retire? And he said, when you ask me this question. <laughs> We're going to go out on the field. We're going to score as many goals as we can. We're going to have fun. Oh, Becky, you're well placed. Growing up, Aisha Rafai's sport had always been netball. It's a sport where Americans don't play. It's yeah. like basketball, but um, there's no board at the net and you can't dribble the ball. So basically, it's a game sport. But netball's not the reason she's on the show. In 2004, while in high school, Rafai was in the gym, cross-training for netball, and she decided to jump on the rowing machine. And someone who used to be in the national team, the national rowing team, she saw me sitting on the rowing machine and she was like, and I haven't even picked up the handle. So I was just sitting on it. And she was like, hmm, um, you should give rowing a try. I was <laughs> like, why? <laughs> and she said that I had long limbs and that will be useful in rowing. The universe is such a random and masterful conductor in the way it can just drop in, coordinate people and elements and scenarios that go on to redirect one's course and change a life. From that moment, the world of rowing collided with the world of Aisha Rafai. So I, I did give it a try. And well, it wasn't quite love at first sight. But I hated it because it was, it was boring. So I was on the rowing machine for like three months and my coach was from China and he couldn't speak a word of English. So it was a miserable experience. Um, and when I got into the boat um, on water in a single skulls, I spent more time in the water than on the water. So it wasn't a really like, oh, I fell in love with rowing kind of thing. It was more of like, I just wanted to try something new. And yeah, basically that was it. Since uh, I, I went for my first race a few months after I went into the boat and I won a medal. And it was when I realized that hmm, this is actually pretty fun. So I just uh, stick on with it. That medal she won wasn't a fluke. Not long after, Rafai became one of Singapore's best rowers. In the next few years, she went on to medal over and over at the Southeast Asian Games the region's top competition. It was during the 2013 edition of the Games, in which she won Singapore's first ever individual gold medal, that Rafai had the moment in which she realized if she really went all into this sport, she could reach the biggest stage, the stage so many elite athletes fantasize about, the Olympics. So um, it was never in my... Um like my goal until one of the ladies who I always compete with she's from Thailand and uh, I'm in my 30s now and she's in her 40s and she's still rowing but she's a four times Olympian so there was a race in 2013 when we were both in a single skulls and that was the first time after I think it was eight years after I rode that was the first time I beat her and that was when I realized that, wow, I can beat an Olympian. It, 
might be possible that I could be an Olympian. This wasn't the first time Rafael had entertained the thought of, oh, maybe I could shoot for the Olympics. I did try out for the 2012 um, Olympics. That year, she did take part in the Asian qualifiers, which determines who from the continent gets to go to the Olympics. Only top five in the singles calls will qualify for the Olympics. She fell short. It was a taste of failure. And I came in 14th out of 16 rowers. This, in combination with beating the four-time Olympian big dog from Thailand the following year, made Rafa'i realize she had actual Olympic potential within her. It deepened her hunger. She wanted to reach for Rio 2016. But if she wanted it, she was going to have to do things very differently. Take it more seriously than she ever had. She was going to have to make this rowing goal a single-minded pursuit. Um, so I was like, okay, if I really want this Olympic dream, I need to put aside a lot of things to and focus my time on training. So um, in 2013, after I won that gold medal, I left my job and I was like, okay, I need to commit to this. And so that was when I, I went all in. In addition to quitting her job, I think it's really important for us to dig into what all in meant in this situation. To be an elite competitor requires sacrifice. To be an Olympian requires even more sacrifice. But the degree of sacrifice, the type of sacrifice, can really differ based on variables like country context, gender, and type of sport. Rafai being from Singapore meant a couple of different things. Um, it's a very conservative, I mean, it used to be a very conservative nation. Though gender equality in Singapore is decently high right now, at least in comparison to the country's Asian counterparts, quote-unquote traditional views of women still have their place in Singaporean society. But also just being a woman in sport, anywhere in the world, especially one who is committed to being all-in, is hard. It's not as culturally and socially supported as it is for men. That's just a fact. So, Rafa'i is navigating this. What else? Well, Singapore is not exactly an international sports powerhouse. No one was really a full-time athlete. The island city-state off the coast of Malaysia has about the same population as Colorado. Since Singapore started sending athletes to the Olympics back in 1948, its representatives have won five medals total. There's that. And also, rowing is not Singapore's most popular sport. Not by a long shot. For Rafa'i, these were the kind of factors that made her all-in-ness on the road to Rio a special kind of grueling struggle. It led to financial troubles right out of the gate. I was um, mostly funding my own training. Um, it was only after I qualified when like, I received funding. For a portion of her journey to the Olympics, Rafa'i had to dip into her savings and even relied on a crowdfunding campaign at a point. Those factors I listed also created the conditions which led her to move to Australia for months to get the best training possible and maximize her chances for qualification. And finally, maybe it was the defeatist attitudes around athletes from Lil' Ol' Singapore 
Or maybe it was Raphael's failure to meet the expectations of a typical level-headed woman in her environment. Whatever it was, she didn't have a whole lot of people in her corner cheering her on to achieve this dream. I remember like every single day when I went to training, my mom would always tell me that you should not quit your job. You should just focus on your job and just um, quit rowing. Yep, even Rafai's mother was not the biggest supporter of her athletic career. But nevertheless, she persisted. Though the obstacles that lie in between Rafai and a spot in Rio were plenty, she just kept smacking them down. In April 2016, she officially punched her ticket to the Olympics. And then, in August, Rafai got in her boat, and became the first and only Olympic rower from Singapore. She finished 23rd out of 32 women in the single skulls event. Rafai is a national hero. She will go down in history. So what does it mean to her to have that legacy? It means the world to me because um, I've proven a lot of people wrong. Uh, that was my main motivation um, because... Everyone has been telling me to quit rowing, even my teachers, because I wasn't doing very well in school. So I think it was more of that that pushed me into wanting to prove them wrong. Um, that's why when I qualified, um, especially knowing that I qualified with all these naysayers, it was just the best feeling in the world. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't more like I did it on my own. I knew that I had um, like supportive people around me. Um, like my coach, um, he was training me um, on a pro bono basis. Um, and there were, there were people who were supporting me. Like my mom, even though she was um, resistant against me training, but the fact that I had to leave the country for like a few months at a time to train, it was a way of like her supporting me, but she doesn't want to say it. So I, I didn't get there on my own. I got there with the help of people around me. Not long after the high of Rio, Rafael experienced burnout. It was a headspace she couldn't seem to get herself out of. I remember um, uh, right after the Olympic Games, I was I was a bit mentally drained. I felt, um, especially because the first um, the few months before the Olympic Games, I was traveling around training. Um, and it was because I don't have a team, so it was just me and my coach. And it got to a point where I was just tired of being in a boat. I didn't want to be in a boat anymore. So I took a few weeks break. And then when I came back um, in the boat, I asked my coach, um, so when do I know if I'm ready to retire? And he said, when you ask me this question. <laughs> I didn't want to believe that because I knew that I still had like unfinished business. Like I... Um, I wanted. I still wanted to go on. I because in rowing, um, then I was um twenty eight or twenty nine, and I knew that there's a lot of rowers who are still peaking at their thirty in their thir early early thirties. So like I felt that I wasn't there yet, and I I could go faster. I could improve even more. So I wasn't ready to retire yet. But every single time I got in the boat, I hated it. <laughs> so it was the first time in my life that. I just hated training. Um, it felt miserable when I was on water. So that was when my coach said, okay, you need to take months off. So we didn't see each other for a month, uh, for, for like a few months. And I went into other sports like triathlon and I enjoyed it even more than rowing. So that was when I realized that 
yeah, that it's time to stop. <laughs> but I'm glad that I left the sport. Um, it was my choice to leave the sport. I think it's harder to leave because of an injury or because you're forced to leave. So, yeah. Considering all the stress she was managing for months, with all the uncontrollables, the constant sidestepping of landmines in the lead up to the Olympics, Rafael's burnout, e.g. the exhaustion of physical or emotional strength or motivation, usually as a result of prolonged stress or frustration, makes a lot of sense. I think there's probably a misconception out there that burnout comes with an automatic hardening of the heart towards your sport. It can make athletes look back on their time with dark lenses. It can make them hate their sport. Following this understanding, with the hanging up of the shoes, the swimsuit, the oars, a life is buried. And good riddance. Sure, that no doubt describes a lot of people who retire on this note. But blanket statements, unnuanced prognoses like that, are just inaccurate, not to mention lazy and uninteresting. For some time now, Rafai has written a blog on her website, AishaRower.com. Through the blog, we get a window into her life from January 2016 up until her last entry, just a couple months ago. So we get a sense of her life in rowing, probably the most intense chapter of her career, the training for Rio and all the things that came with that. And we learn about her life after rowing, the places she's traveled, her engagement, the activities, hint, new sports she's thrown herself into. The posts are funny, emotional, and honest. It's all really cool to read through. And, unsurprisingly, it's AishaRower.com, after all. Rowing comes up, even in the posts about life after rowing. Again and again. In backwards ways, direct ways, scrolling through here and there are insights from Rafai piecing together what it all meant and what it continues to mean. June 20th, 2018. I'm sad sometimes, thinking about my days as an athlete. I miss it. I miss waking up doing the things I do best. I miss wearing the Singapore flag and competing for the nation. December 2nd, 2018. I just don't like the word retirement because it makes me sound old and saggy. Let's just say I've decided to extend my break from rowing for an indefinite period. I can be strong and independent like that, but when it comes to rowing, I just don't know. My heart just tears into a million tiny pieces in a heartbeat when I think about it. Parting ways with rowing is like separating from a long-term boyfriend whom I was madly in love with, given up my life for, but had to let go because we both simply grew out of love. It reached that stage when there is just emptiness between us, nothing more than just an empty space that needed to be replaced by something else or someone else, whatever else but rowing. I guess the point I'm trying to make is leaving your sport behind, even when you're so ready to, and the idea of doing another training makes you want to cry. Well, the hurt, the missing, the feelings of once love, even if they aren't now love, can still bubble up. 
sometimes it comes up in complicated, random, seemingly superficial ways. Yeah, and so this actually is a question I, that struck me because you, you just posted today about, <laughs> I think this is a really interesting issue, social media, right? Yeah. When, when you are trying to leave something behind, when you're trying to, you know, you love it, you miss it, you want to connect with the people that are still a part of it because it was important to you, but it hurts. Yeah. It hurts oh, to see God. these things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess like, yeah, what do you, so seeing things, was it from the Southeast Asian games? Uh-huh. Is that what you're posting? Right. About? Yeah. So like, do you, what do you think? I mean, do you think you block and mute? Do you like, what do you do? <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it's hard. And I know the Olympics is coming up. And so I told my husband that during the Olympic games, we need to go somewhere where there's no <laughs> Wi-Fi and <laughs> no internet. <laughs> Um, so what do I do? Um, I mean, it's hard because it's everywhere. Uh, even though I'm not there physically, but most of my friends are athletes. Um, and I remind myself that, huh, I've been to four SEA Games and it's okay if I, uh, am not part of this one because I've been to four and I've been to the highest level, right, right. like the competition. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm just... I just remind myself that um, it's time for others to shine, um, and I'm I'm happy for I'm happy for them. Yeah, and that's why I always like remind my friends who are still competing, like like really embrace the moment. But yes, there are a lot of things about being an Olympic level athlete that Rafael does not miss. Probably most of all, honestly and very unfortunately, is the politics that comes along with being an athlete, um, having to deal with people in the high authorities that sort of control you. Um, yeah, it was frustrating. And that was one of the biggest reasons why I chose to leave. Since retiring from rowing, Rafai has been busy. She moved to Boston, got married. She's done work giving back to her community in Singapore and beyond. She has given talks at places like the Women in Leadership Summit. And while she's not in the boat anymore, the way she once was, what she has looked forward to most in the post-rowing chapter isn't wildly different than what got her into rowing in the first place and what had kept her going. I guess one of the things that I was excited about once I retired was trying out new sports. So when I was an elite athlete, I wasn't able to do other sports because of um, uh, the higher chances of getting injured. Um, so now I have more chance to like try out. So right after I retired, I remember I picked up boxing. Um, and then I learned how to swim. That was when I got into triathlons. Um, and I tried to work on my handstands. So that was exciting. Uh, yeah. So trying out new sports. And then now that I'm in Boston, I get to try like the winter sports, um, so I'm excited about learning how to cross-country ski, not downhill though. I'm I'm so afraid of heights uh, and ice skating probably. But I think that was one thing that um, I couldn't do as an athlete because yeah. I had to be really careful. She loves training. She loves being active and pushing herself and what might be her next big athletic challenge ahead. And I also saw that very recently you qualified for the Boston Marathon. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> that... We shouldn't be about. <laughs> no, 
That's wild. So clearly the competitive fire has not been extinguished in you. I try I try to maintain my fitness because I know that when, when I stop, it's hard to get back into it. Yeah. How are you feeling about that? That happens in April, May? Yeah, it's in April next year. Um, so I, I love running. Um, I used to be a lightweight rower, so running was the easiest way to lose weight. Um, but usually I run for an hour. So when I qualified for Boston, it was my first marathon. And that was when I started running for more than an hour. <laughs> it wasn't fun. It was <laughs> awful. Um, and now that I've qualified, my friends are saying that you've qualified for, for Boston, you have to go for it. And it's winter here in Boston. <laughs> it's just uh, partially regretting it, but I'm looking at it in a way of like, you know, it's something new, something exciting. And everyone tells me that Boston's going to be exciting. So, yeah. When I caught up with Rafai, she had just come back from a class with the IRL. That is the Institute of Rowing Leadership. It's a course designed to teach former rowers how to coach. Much like the Olympics in a way, coaching hasn't been something she envisioned in her life path. Right now, she's considering this potential next career thoughtfully, asking herself the right kind of questions. Going into this program, I never wanted to be a coach um, because I always have this um, perception that just because I'm a good athlete, it doesn't make me a good coach. Um, so it was never in my dream to be a coach. Um, and I don't even know whether I want to be a coach now. <laughs> it was just an opportunity came up and I really, I'm enjoying the uh, first two semesters. Um, but the thing that motivated me to want to try this was, so when, whenever I was back in Singapore, I was coaching uh, rowers and most of the rowers I coach will always tell me, you know, you should think about this as a career. You should pursue this because you're really good. But I never see myself as a good coach because, yeah, I basically, I always compare myself to my coaches and my coaches know a lot more about rowing than me. Like, I know how to push, but I don't know how to tra- uh, plan a training program. I don't know. Right. Like, yeah, so there's a lot of factors that, yeah. So I'm just, I'm just giving this a try, see where my path will take me to. But, yeah. Maybe it's a product of the place she was in with her sport, navigating a lot of heavy stuff. But Rafai has found a lightness in her life now, immersing herself in other endeavors and surrounding herself with other people. It's the kind of mood that you can hear in her advice for retired slash retiring athletes. To continue to exercise. <laughs> I have seen so many athletes who retire and they just like grew (laughs) i've never had a guest vocalize this but it's important as for beyond paying attention to your health and diet though i guess it's for myself as well a reminder for myself that it's always hard to let go of something but sometimes like letting go is the best decision you can ever make because for me um if I didn't let go of rowing, I wouldn't have traveled to US. And if I haven't traveled to US, I wouldn't have found my current husband. So, Just like 15 years ago, when a rower for the national team happened to be at the right place at the right time to see a teenage Rafai pick up the handles of a rowing machine, some things happen for a reason. 
And in those cases, when a decision comes your way that asks you to choose between staying a course or pursuing novelty, it may often be better not to double down on analyzing, to not burn the midnight oil of thinking through the pros and cons of leaving behind one life to seek out another. Instead, it might be best to surrender, to go with the current instead of beat back against it. And in a moment of quiet and stillness, to listen to where your gut is pulling you. And in this instance, what a tired, curious heart and mind might crave. Listening to those guiding forces won't often lead you astray. Just ask Aisha Rafai. Thank you to Aisha Rafai for coming onto the podcast. And thank you for listening. Hope to see you next time.